Hi, this is Tia Sarkar. I play Sabine Wren on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Twin Suns Transmission. Of course, it ends where it becomes a desert planet with twin suns. Hey, my name is Taylor Gray, and I play Ezra Bridger in Star Wars Rebels. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Twin Suns Transmission. Here's where the fun begins. Let's make this a bit more interesting. You've taken your first step into a larger world. The garbage will do! Nothing will stand in our way. May the force be with us. Hello and welcome to the Twin Sons Outpost Book Club. Today we're going to be talking about Thrawn Alliances. My name's Eric Pfeiffer. I'm the host and I'm joined by my girlfriend, Amanda DeFonzo. Hey guys. And of course, Jesse Sanfilippo. Hey. And I just want to say, guys, it has been so much fun talking with you over the last couple months about all these really cool new upcoming star wars books and thrawn alliances did not disappoint for me i am so excited to start talking to you guys about this book it's been awesome so let's go ahead and uh jesse i'll begin with you first actually so uh this is the second book in the thrawn series and we get a ton more backstory about thrawn as a character and uh everything that's been going on with him since the clone Wars. so Tell us a little bit about what you thought of this book and some of the major takeaways that you were able to uh, come across. So I thought this book was really interesting. Um, It was a little bit difficult for me to get into at first, but once I started really thinking about how much we get into Vader's head and actually getting to hear, you know, what he's thinking and getting to hear him think back to his old life as a Jedi all at the same time as considering Anakin into that life as dead. It was just really, I felt really valuable into getting into Vader's head and get his character and finding a deeper appreciation for him. As well as his growth with Thrawn, to me that was the most interesting part of the book, is for them to go from completely mistrusting, especially Vader, mistrusting Thrawn, um, mistrusting his loyalties and always accusing him of treason and then to get all the way to the point where they, you know, respect each other. That I think was the biggest thing for me in this book. Yeah, I would have to agree on that point. I thought the character arcs were super, super important and getting to see Vader get to the point where he is acknowledging certain parts of his past while still, you know, being very firm on the fact that that no longer exists and kind of affirming that he is in his own particular place with Emperor Palpatine and that Thrawn is in his own place and that it's not a competition. I thought that that was a really nice conclusion to them. Yeah. And that mutual respect that they kind of earned from each other yeah i agree i think it was a really cool to see the dynamic between not only anakin thrawn but thrawn and vader because the two seem very similar but different you know because Mm -hmm. when it's vader it's it's very much like oh well you know a lot of what happened in the past didn't happen and obviously thrawn knows it happened because thrawn seems very much aware that vader is Anakin 
you know, throughout the book. They yeah. they seem to allude to that quite a bit. I really enjoyed the the Clone Wars kind of twist on it. Obviously, everything that we read in the first book very much had a like rebels sort of galactic civil war feel. But then in this book, we got to jump back a little bit and get a little backstory with uh, you know what was going on in the Clone Wars, which I thought was pretty cool. One thing that was difficult for me with this book was going back between timelines. Now, it wasn't that hard to like understand what was going on in each timeline, but it was like you get really into one of the stories, you know, like Anakin, Padme, and Thrawn are on a mission, and then they go back to like Vader and Thrawn, and they're in space. And it's like, okay, now I have to like <laughs> totally readjust how my brain is thinking about this book. It was know? basically like getting two books in one. Yeah. And then having to like. It was stop yourself and readjust to the timeline again and you're like oh all right we're back to thrawn invader cool because <laughs> it was every chapter right every chapter had two sides a past and a future that's what it felt like at i least. think it was like every couple chapters like we get one or two chapters in one timeline and then one or two chapters in another timeline and then it would swap back again and it was always at like almost parallel points in their adventure i felt and to me it was almost like as soon as they introduced the story from padme's perspective that threw me again because i was like okay so we're gonna have one section of this book that's going to be about thrawn and vader and then we're going to have another section of this book that's going to be about thrawn and anakin and then all of a sudden like I don't know, a couple chapters in, they're like, okay, and now Padme lands on Batu, and I'm like, okay, so now we have Padme's side of the story, and I was just not expecting that. Like, I was expecting Anakin to be on this mission, looking for Padme the entire time, and not getting things from her point of view, but I'm super glad we did, because it was cool to see what Padme was thinking and how she got out of some of the situations that she was in. I thought it was also pretty cool getting to see her form in a relationship with Thrawn. Mm-hmm. And seeing them garner that respect with one another and kind of balance one another, I think, against, or not against, but with Anakin's base nature, for lack of a better term. <laughs> because they kind of tempered him throughout. I think they were, you know two sides of that coin and i found it really interesting especially when they were talking about anakin when anakin wasn't there like i yes. feel like there was some really interesting stuff there right when um especially when i'm thinking they need to change anakin's mind we need to not you know destroy this factory it's going to destroy this whole you know world basically yeah. and padme just you know they're talking about how you just can't change his mind and I feel like Thrawn maybe kind of knew then that he was like, Anakin's not all good on the inside. <laughs> but you know what, though? Almost every single time during a Thrawn Vader chapter, Thrawn was able to change Anakin's mind. Thrawn was able to change Vader's mind. Mm-hmm. Like, Vader would not trust him. That's like, so when they were true. Jumping through and trying to, like, you know, figure out what was going on with the gravity well and crap like that. Vader was like, no, we've done this eight times. I'm done with this. And Thrawn's like, trust me one more time. And Vader's like, okay. And then they, and then it works, you know? Like, Thrawn is able to change Vader's mind. 
which I think is pretty cool. Thrawn makes Vader take pause. And he, he does. introduces like, enough reason for Vader to take pause, but he doesn't give him the whole bit so that Vader is kind of baited. And then Thrawn reels him in. And like a fish on a line. He didn't force choke a single person throughout this entire book. Like he thought about it so many times. <laughs> but like Thrawn Thrawn either like strategically said up so that he would either have no one to force choke or he just was like hey you need to calm down and he was like oh sure yeah maybe <laughs> i should slow your roll the funny <laughs> part though is is that was... like when thrawn when vader disagrees with thrawn vader's just like well i could snap his neck right now i could just force choke him and i could just take him out <laughs> but the emperor trusts him so i guess i'm not going to do that you know like it's 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 pretty interesting to see what's going on in Vader's mind because we don't get that a lot. And to some respect, it's like Anakin on his own without Emperor Palpatine pulling his strings to the extent that he does while he's Vader. Anakin's like a dog off the leash, whereas Vader is very much a dog on the leash when it comes to referencing back to what Palpatine would deem acceptable. Yeah, it's like Palpatine holds him back on basically every part of the way he interacts with Thrawn. Yes. It's all based on his trust in Palpatine. That's the only reason he lets him get away with so much, I feel like. Whereas Anakin, when he is a Jedi, just gives in to his impulses a lot of the time. Yeah. He seems like he's like Palpatine is just kind of letting him do what he wants. Response to things is like, well, I'm a warrior. And Palpatine's like, all right, cool. I guess I'll trust you. You know, like he, there's something about Thrawn. Palpatine knows that he's not all 100% for the Empire, but he's mm-hmm. still willing to invest in him. So, Pal- so like Thrawn is the opposite of Vader. Like he's completely let loose off leash let you know be his tactical self to his fullest potential because that's really the only way Thrawn you know thrives so it's I just thought that was interesting that you said Vader was kind of like on a leash and then he's got Thrawn I just completely 100% trusts him and lets him do absolutely whatever yeah well let's talk about a couple interesting things that happened in this book and what you guys think about it so for me i thought it was interesting that um for the clone wars chapters we had anakin conversing with thrawn in this mis kalf language and you don't think about that when you're reading it right you're like oh they're just speaking in basic because that's how the book is written it's written in english but really when you pay attention to what's going on in the story at that time because this is during the clone wars you know when thrawn obviously he knew some basic and he had eli as his translator and things like that and how much of that was actually eli translating versus thrawn acting like he didn't know what he was doing i don't know but you know they're speaking in a different language pretty much this entire time during the time of the clone wars and Mm -hmm. we have padme speaking to thrawn in that language as well so i thought that was pretty cool not something that you might think of, you know, all the time. Um, one of the other big questions that I want to ask you guys is what what exactly was this disturbance that Palpatine felt? And if it was these Chiss children that were essentially had their third sight, 
this has not been the first time that these children have had this third sight. I mean, this is something that I guess is relatively common among the Chiss. So what was it exactly? Was it the Grisks taking these kids? Or what was it exactly in your guys' mind that was this disturbance that Palpatine felt? Mm. That's how I read it. For me, I felt like it was a dual component of Palpatine expanding his vision to wild space and, you know, starting to pick up on things going on out there and the abduction of the Chiss children because maybe them being out of their element and used to an end that was not intended for them may have caused the disturbance and the fact that, you know, Palpatine was now looking for something out there for himself that may have triggered it. I totally agree. I think because he was already looking kind of in that direction and then these children were in, you know, extreme distress. And that is exactly when Vader feels it too. Mm -hmm. Um, When they finally get close to them and they start to realize they're getting potentially put back in these hibernation chambers and they're really, really scared. Like that's when Vader feels it. So I feel like it's like the fear of these kids and not just the fact that they exist. It's them being really, really scared. And that would make sense because the Sith are fueled by fear. So extreme fear from a Force-sensitive being would be something that might blip their radar. We know all these conversations have occurred between Thrawn and Palpatine uh, behind closed doors without Darth Vader. The Dark Lord of the Sith, the Sith Apprentice, one of the two, and Palpatine is keeping secrets from him about, you know, wild space. Why keep this a secret from Darth Vader? Well, I think that Palpatine has never once wanted to put all his eggs in one basket. I don't think he wants to bet on Vader. I don't think he wants to bet on anyone but himself coming out on top. So he's spreading things out a little bit as far as he can with his limited circle. That would be my guess. I haven't really thought about it. I I agree with what you said. I wonder, too, also if he thought, because, you know, their whole goal up until this point was to find any other Force-sensitive beings, any other, you know, lingering Jedi or Padawans out there and basically find them and kill them. So I wonder if, like, he saw, you know, these other Force-sensitive beings out there and saw maybe a use for them and didn't want to alert Vader, because that's kind of what Vader's, you know, thing is right now, is, as his thing has always been, <laughs> is kill the remaining Jedi. <laughs> I don't know. Definitely something to think about. I mean, obviously the Sith have their ways, and it is, it is uh, important not to teach your apprentice everything at once. But at the same time, I feel like if you're going to want your apprentice to take on missions across the galaxy, that they should be fully aware of what the threat is. So, I don't know. Just something to think about. I really liked getting information on Batu. I think it was really cool to get a little bit more backstory on Black Spire and how it was a sort of like an ancient civilization and there's ruins and everything. Black Spire was named after the big trees, the big black trees that are, you know, really tall in the in the outposts and everything. Um, especially with having Galaxy's Edge opening, I think it's really cool to kind of get that description and, uh, 
I'm going to be going there in about a month, so I think it'll be really cool to kind of see the different areas, the cantina, you know, the different, uh, like, main roads into the town and things like that. So I'm sure I'm sure it won't be exactly the same, but it'll be kind of cool to kind of see the, the comparisons and how everything works together, which will be pretty awesome. What do you guys think about the description of Black Spire and, and how that matches up to what you know of Galaxy's Edge so far? I thought it was awesome. It made me feel like the immersive experience that people are talking about at Galaxy's Edge is just leaping out of the pages of these books. And I feel like that is the most cool thing on the planet. I think it's cool how they're sort of bringing, you know, what we see in Galaxy's Edge to to canon in this book. I think this is the first book that they actually brought it into, which I think is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, because um, to me, Lepchow is the guy that they first meet in the right. cantina, yeah. right? Yeah. But That's... he changed his name. I can't think of what he changed his name to. His name is Nodlia. Because yes. Yeah, because... So that was the bartender at the beginning that was like, where's your bodyguard to Thrawn? Knowing that Thrawn was there yeah. earlier with Anakin. And then they had him change his name. Because he's like, yeah, right. you probably should change your name and maybe work at the at the cantina. And he's like, yeah, I might look into that or whatever he says at the end. Because I was wondering about it. I mean, and this is my second read-through, too. And I've been listening to the audiobooks, and I didn't catch it the first time I read it. But I noticed that their voices, the the voice actor who did the books, made the voice the same. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so I had noticed that and not made the connection. And I finally made the connection in this one. So I wonder if you're, like, really careful at Galaxy's Edge if you'll find Lepchow. That'd be cool. I'm sure he would have a different name. He'd have the Nodlia name, probably, at that Nodlia, point. Nodlia, yeah. But, yeah, it'd be cool. That'd, That'd be neat. cool to see. I really like the description, and I really like the missions that these characters went on. Duja, Padme's former handmaiden, and like everything that happened with her just being found outside the cantina dead. Like I don't know, it was just kind of a cool, surprising moment to me. Like that was one of the moments where I was sitting at the table reading, and they're and they're like, yeah. And Padme walked up to the cantina, and there was like a you know a, a straw like area to the right of the door and that's where Duja's body was just laying there and I'm like what (laughs) like it was just crazy to read about that this book had a lot of crazy things in it actually Mm. that was pretty cool they mentioned the Calicori at one point which was pretty awesome did you guys catch like for me just kind of going back through my notes after having read the entire book I caught some really cool things like at the beginning of the book when Thrawn and Vader are on their way to Batuu, they actually have to go through the Mukivja. They go through, they kind of like make a stop at that planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and the planet, it says, basically looks destroyed. And obviously we know what happened with Anakin creating that explosion at the Cortosis mine and why it looks destroyed. So I think it was pretty cool to kind of get that backstory and understand why the planet was destroyed after having read the whole book. I also think it's really cool that Palpatine essentially was behind this separatist operation with the Cortosis. And at the beginning of the book, it says there's a mention that uh, Anakin, or I think it was a chapter between Vader and Thrawn, and uh, it was something about how they unwitting or unknowingly disrupted one of Palpatine's separatist plans or something like that. 
so I think it's pretty cool how everything after you've read the entire book sort of meshes with itself if that makes any sense it all has tight ends yeah and did you guys get the sense like I was I was almost a little bit surprised that Vader realized all of that going all the way back like a kind of I don't know why I always just kind of pictured Vader not like fully grasping like how that all went down and just you know having like a like a veil over of the dark side of how everything went down in that moment but I thought it was really cool that he totally was like just chill with Palpatine totally undermining everything and then I don't think Thrawn even really understood what happened did you get that like I don't think Thrawn understands that Palpatine went was, back and like did order 66 like I don't think that's like common knowledge but Thrawn had the intuition or the foresight enough to know that that armor could pose problems within the republic if yeah it were I just thought it was out. interesting like yeah I just I guess I just have Thrawn on such like a high pedestal of being able to see exactly what's going on and put all the pieces of the puzzle together but I don't think he put that puzzle together so that just kind of reminds you like how intense Palpatine is and like how much yeah. higher thinking and strategic he is than even Thrawn yeah he's the puppet master and now Mm-hmm. Another thing I want to bring up to you guys is obviously we know that the name of the third book is Thrawn Treason. But throughout this book, we get Vader questioning Thrawn quite a bit and assuming that Thrawn is treasonous and that his true intentions are to not necessarily betray the Empire, but not put them on his number one category list for, you know, helping out. I think he clearly wants to help out his people. He wants to save the Chiss. He wants to prevent bad things from happening to them. And as we know, the Grisk, they attack the enemy they see first. And from where they're located in space, that's going to be the Chiss, you know, prior to the Empire. Although he does say that the Empire, you know, will be attacked by the Grisk at some point. He, He sort of mentions that, I believe in chapter nine that the grisk will be a threat to the empire at some point so will we see that in treason i don't know but uh, my question to you guys is what do you think about thrawn actually being treasonous will he betray the empire will he get to this point where he's actually an enemy at the beginning of this book they say you know thrawn's resistance to the death star hasn't gotten to the point of being like an all-out rebellion but it might get to that point because he clearly doesn't want... He's not in favor of the Death Star. You know what I'm saying? Well, he values life. He values order and structure and he values life. And the Death Star is a planet destroyer. (laughs) I mean, there's not much positive or life to be gained from that. So I feel like he would seriously morally struggle with that um, from what we have seen so far of Thrawn's moral compass. I mean, he wasn't for destroying the Cortosis mines either because that would destroy a people's way of life and their planet. 
and and that's not necessarily what he's about. He just wants to bring order. But first and foremost, Thrawn expects results. Yeah. And one of the biggest differences between him and Vader is that while Vader will force choke somebody for not being perfect, Thrawn will understand that mistakes are made. As long as the results are achieved, then, you know, he doesn't demand perfection. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, sometimes in order to get results, you might have to blow up a planet. If you want the Empire to thrive, take out its biggest threat. But at the same time, in every battle he's in, he tries to first take the path that doesn't end life. Like, he even is telling Vader, like, hey, let's try not to kill everybody first. And then if we need <laughs> yeah. to kill everybody, like, oh, I guess that'll be okay. Like, I, I agree 100% with both of you. Like, I think you're both right. Like, he values life, but there is a certain point where he, he recognizes sacrifices need to be made. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Death Star, I don't know how much he can get behind that. He's been really wary of that since the first Thrawn novel. Mm-hmm. He's been wondering about it and seems concerned about it. And that poses a threat to the Chiss, too. Mm-hmm. Like, we have these amazing tactical beings that, you know, you just hold up a big, shiny object to and say, well, do what I say. So all your tactics go right out the window. Every advantage they've ever had would go right out the window with the Death Star. Yeah. Well, let's get let's get back to that that treason question. Will Thrawn betray the Empire? Jesse, yes or no? Is he a traitor? Is he treasonous? I mean, I guess we'll find out in the next book. But at this point, prior to having read a word from that book, what do you think? I just keep thinking of that quote that he keeps saying that every time that he's asked like where do your loyalties lie and it also says the exact same quote on the inside cover of Thrawn Treason his answer is a warrior may retreat he does not flee he may lie in ambush Uh, he does not hide he may experience victory or defeat he does not cease to serve and then it, it adds in Thrawn Treason, there's a red, it goes in red underneath it, it adds, but a servant with divided loyalties is no servant at all. Okay. So what does that mean to you? So, <laughs> it, I, at the same, it's, it's really hard because to me that, that is such a riddle in my mm-hmm. head. Yeah. I don't have Thrawn's brain. So it's such a riddle. On one hand, it sounds like he's saying, all these things, I'm a servant, but my loyalties are divided, so it's all me. You know, like it like it makes him sound very treasonous, but at the same time, Vader keeps saying throughout this entire book, like, where are your loyalties? Where are your loyalties? Where are they? And at the end, Thrawn is like, why can't they be in both places? Like, why, like, why can't they be both? Yeah. And I just feel like it's going to be something similar to what we've seen him do multiple times in this book where he, I think he's first and foremost, everything he's doing now with the Empire, I do believe he's doing for the Chiss. I think he sees it as allying, like becoming an alliance with the Empire will eventually help protect the Chiss. He sees that as a valuable alliance. So I feel like maybe he's first and foremost for the Chiss, but I think he thinks he can also do right by the Empire at the same time. I don't know. It might, and think in this book it's going to seem like he is committing treason, but I don't know. He just really seems like the guy that comes through in the end. 
And I'm having so a no. hard... Yeah. <laughs> Long story short, no. And I have a hard time believing that it would be flat out treason because we know where he ends up. So how would he still be where he ends up if he had, prior to that, committed treason? He wouldn't have been in his position. So that's where I'm struggling is like we've got this gap where Thrawn treason is going to take place, but then we know what happens at the end of Rebels. So it's like... Right, we know he's still <laughs> with the Empire. Because yeah. this book, Treason, I, I just looked it up earlier. I'd have to pull it up on my phone again. It is, it's in between Rebels episodes. And it ends before the finale of Rebels. So... And he's still it, in a position of like, power. Right, like he's still an admiral. So he can't have like messed up that badly. Or maybe he did, and Palpatine's like, I don't care. We're going to leave him here. I don't know. Because Thrawn can almost get away with whatever he wants. He can talk to Vader however he wants. <laughs> he can talk to Palpatine however he wants. He can do the most unorthodox ways of fighting battles and be questioned by every single person in the room and yet still come out on top. I don't know. I think he could still be committed of treason and be and keep his spot just because he's Thrawn. Yeah. And the other but. thing that's tugging at me is the um, the cover that was released, that exclusive cover of Thrawn on in Palpatine's chair, surrounded by Chiss. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, "What if that's happening? Wait a minute, guys! <laughs> like, how I does know. that work? That doesn't fit. Stop it!" <laughs> yeah. So, uh, as I was reading this, and you guys can tell me your thoughts, um, I have the the hardcover uh, copy of the book, and if you have it as well, you can check this out on page 236. It's sort of the one of the first times where Anakin, uh, he's with Thrawn, but they're also meeting up with Padme. So Thrawn is meeting Padme f- for the first time, and Thrawn is uh, sort of picking up on their relationship and... How they're not necessarily just, uh, you know, rescuers and an ambassador that Anakin is there to uh, to to uh, help out. So as they're departing, where you know Thrawn and, and Padme are going to go up on on the roof to get Anakin's lightsaber, and Anakin and Padme are sort of like, do we hug each other? No, because Thrawn's here. This is awkward. There's a moment where um, <laughs> it was all he could do to keep from taking her in his arms. But Thrawn was here, and that Chiss already was suspicious of the relationship. Though why Anakin should even care about that, he didn't know. It wasn't like Thrawn would ever go to Coruscant and tell anyone. So that got me thinking, like, was this something that Palpatine knew all along? Did he know about Anakin and Padme from the beginning? Because I know at one point in Legends, I read somewhere years ago, like years ago, prior to the Disney buyout, that it was like... Typho or somebody like that or Panaka, one of the one of like Padme's right hand guys that let something slip to Palpatine that they were actually married. Or do you guys think that this was something that Palpatine just knew, or did Thrawn end up saying something to Palpatine like, hey, you know, this is something you might want to look out after? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I. I think that Anakin and Padme are much more obvious than they think they are. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I think they have a really intense like passion and love for each other. And I think that's something that's extremely difficult to hide, especially when you're trying to hide it most. Yeah. I, I feel like even just like all it takes is someone like Thrawn, who's straight up reading every little inch of your body language. You don't think he's going to miss like that, like arm twitch of like, Oh my God, I want to hug that person so bad. (laughs) And how, like and Palpatine like you know being who he is and being able to sense you know the emotions and he was so interested in Anakin from early on I'm sure he sensed that in him a long yeah. time ago yeah I I can't see Thrawn outing Anakin and Padme to Palpatine prior to yeah. his allegiance to the Empire like, I just, I don't see the worth in that for him. And he talks multiple times about his respect for Anakin. Yeah, I don't think he would. I don't think, yeah, I don't think there's any need to. I think that's something that Palpatine just kind of already sensed himself. Yeah, he was already spinning that web before Thrawn yeah. came into the picture, he, I think. Yeah, he was, he was using that for sure. <laughs> yeah. One other thing too, and if you guys have ever, if you guys were participating with us in uh, Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray, they do, uh, Claudia does a phenomenal job of sort of describing that battle meditation that the Jedi go through, you know, with Obi-Wan and and Qui-Gon and trying to work in sync and sort of just almost not even thinking, they're just deflecting blaster shots. Do you guys remember that from Master and Apprentice? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think this, you know, not only solidifies how the Jedi are, but in this book, they really talk about that as well. And I think it's it's kind of interesting because even in Rebels, we sort of see this with Ezra as he's like deflecting blaster bolts. He has visions and things like that um, about his parents and stuff. But I want to just kind of bring to your guys' attention on page 302, if you have the hardcover copy, Anakin's going up against some droids, and it says, there were probably 20 of them in all, B1s and B2s. It didn't matter. Anakin was deep in the force, turning and blocking and slashing and destroying. Dimly through his combat haze, he could sense other blaster fire cutting through the melee, Padme and Thrawn picking off the more vulnerable B1s where they could. The threat to Padme, the danger to the Republic, the murder of Duja. Double vision, bolts at chest, bolts at head. He continued his attack. A memory swirling up through the mist, the slaughter of the sand people who tortured and murdered his mother. Then it had been justice, now it was war. Double vision, one bolt at chest. He deflected the solitary bolt, raised his lightsaber before he could attack the last remaining B1 fell. Its torso burned through the shot from the attack, from Padme's S5. So I think it's really cool how like even Anakin going through these sort of battle meditations has thoughts of like, the sand people and his mother and it brings him back to you know emotions that will aid in his his fighting to me it seems almost like in that specific battle meditation he was almost reaching out to the dark side a little bit could be what he was feeling (laughs) yeah those are all like it's all the worst things yeah. that have either happened to him recently or in his life in general. He was and he's literally channeling it. Yeah, he was channeling that negative energy. Like, unbeknownst, you know, unintentionally. Mm-hmm. That's just what was coming to him naturally. Yeah, and I know you, Amanda, were talking about 
Anakin's actions at the end of the book being very dark sidey, kind of like you know. Quite was, frankly, that last just blow everybody up chapter <laughs> with Anakin and Thrawn and Padme. That last chapter horrified me. <laughs> I watching him kind of just go and blow the minds up against both Thrawn and Padme's advice them saying you know maybe there's something we should think about there's a different way we can go about this why don't we take a step back and you know look at this and he's just like nah we're just gonna blow all this up I'm just gonna you know light the whole thing let's go I mean, they did mention that they were going to evacuate the mine. Well, they evacuated the mine, but what Thrawn and Padme were seeing was potential harm to the world and the way that these people would survive once they had left them. Because the collateral damage, they kept talking about the collateral damage. They were leaving so much behind them already. And then what what was going to happen when they destroyed the mines? I mean, we found out, but it was awful they decimated this planet destroy the mine yeah i feel like i see two sides of that coin like it made me really sad because it made me sad that padme felt like she had no influence over her husband you know that Mm -hmm. that made me sad that she didn't even really try to fight him on it too hard she's like i've seen him like that before we're not getting anywhere that was a bummer (laughs) um but but yeah like if he if they hadn't what would happen? Yeah, I feel like we wouldn't have we would not have all these rogue surviving Jedi running around like but there everybody. Could have been a better way to go about it. Too. Maybe. I mean, I think if Thrawn had stuck around, if they had been able to talk Anakin off his ledge, and been like, "Why don't we powwow on this and maybe try and find an alternate route for this that doesn't involve well, do you doing do? something that's detrimental to an entire people." and their home how do you make sure they stop making invulnerable clone armor though without just blowing it up there might have been a better way to collapse the mines without using explosives that wouldn't have caused the planet to you know come what was the core it was the cortosis <laughs> like no matter yeah. how they i mean i guess yeah if they just wouldn't have blown it up <laughs> you could have found other ways to cave the walls in of the mines without using explosives. I'm sure if they really thought... Anakin could have used the Force. He's strong. He's tough. Just collapse those walls with the Force, buddy. (laughs) See, I I feel like here we have uh, a clear discrepancy between Amanda and I. We have uh, a light side version of the story and a dark side version of the story where I'm clearly just like, no, just blow it up. It's all cortosis. They're going to be like impenetrable clones and battle droids running around. Just take it out. And then I'm like, but wait, we get to see what happens to Mokija after the fact and the civilization is just totally wiped. The planet's destroyed and these people lost their way of life, their home, their history, everything. And to me, that's just awful. Well, I just was really surprised that by these, like, three, you know, huge, highly revered main characters, that none of them realized that blowing up Cortosis was going to be a, a bad idea. Padme and Thrawn figured they out knew, it would be a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, but they didn't think the whole planet was going to go up in flames. They were like, oh, this he is going to be bad out. for the... F- 
I don't, I don't know. I, did he? Did he really know that there was going to be a bad, or was he really thinking about there being a bad, like actual reaction, or were they just thinking about you know destroying the mine and what it was going to do to like the direct population and probably contaminating that little part of the environment? Like I don't know if they really understood that just the whole how just how, yeah how bad it would be. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it blew up. So <laughs> thanks, Eric. <laughs> um, what do you guys think about the the Who introduction of cortosis? Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if this struck a nerve with you guys, but for me, like, cortosis was something that was introduced in Legends. It was something that I remember reading about, like cortosis gauntlets with Imperial Knights in the Legacies comic books with Cade Skywalker they would literally like deactivate lightsabers and even in the star wars miniatures game like if if you go up against a character with a cortosis gauntlet like you're pretty much in trouble if they block your lightsaber like it's it's crazy how powerful and how effective this material is so like well, when I they even... first introduced it into this book i was like they made it canon it's crazy <laughs> I thought it was interesting that we read this right after reading Master and Apprentice where we just found a whole nother material that can shut down lightsabers, the colon crystals, Mm -hmm. and now we're getting into, you know, a whole nother part of the world, of the the outer regions that has a whole nother way to block kyber crystals. It just makes me feel like the whole outer rim is like just trying to figure out how to take you know, either the Jedi or the, or the Sith or whatever, who's ever there at the time, it's it's more thought about than we originally realized. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like it. I mean, it to me, it kind of, not levels, but evens the playing field just a little bit as far as the average man and the Jedi and the Sith, if they have access to this kind of tech. It doesn't yeah. make everything seem quite so hopeless. Right. They're not They're not unbeatable. Yes. I find it funny that Vader constantly brought up Thrawn's failure on Adalon, which is clearly the failure with the Bendu. Um, mm-hmm. That, well, you let the Jedi go, and you let Kanan go, and all this stuff. Um, Amanda and I were watching Rebels through now, and... At the beginning of season two, where Meketh Tua, she's sort of like defecting and she wants to co- go to the rebels. She's contacting them and everything. And there's that whole scene where Vader like fights Kanan and Ezra, and uh, like Sabine shoots at Vader and he deflects it right back into her face. And the rebels escape and they leave and they literally like fly away from the planet. And it's like, okay, now Vader's talking about Thrawn's big failure, letting Kanan go. And we have Vader at the beginning of season two who literally just did the same thing. Um, I thought that was interesting. I think it's more of like a knock on Thrawn, just like, look, you suck type thing. He's just talking smack. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thrawn doesn't need to know that that happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the other big things I really want to talk to you guys about, um, actually two things, and then we'll get into uh, some reactions from uh, members of the book club. But number one is, do you guys remember the name of uh, the Chiss 
people, the just children that have third sight, what they were called? Yes. Skywalkers. All right. And then Thrawn's like, yeah, you can imagine my confusion when I heard Anakin's last name, you know? So what do you guys think about that? Like, do you think these Skywalkers are, like, is that term a clue for what's going to happen in Episode Nine? Like, is this directly correlated? Oh, man. Is Skywalker <laughs> a term that is not necessarily, like, the family, but more so, like, the type of people? Oh, my God. Hold on. My brain's imploding. Give me a second. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, I keep saying that I feel like these Thrawn novels are, like, pointing in the direction of, like, where Star Wars' future is in these unknown regions. So, yeah. I could see it happening. I mean, and that makes me wonder if there's a reason that Palpatine was starting to look towards wild space because he chose Shmi Skywalker to carry Anakin from what we presumably know. Yeah. So that's where my mind goes. I'm like, so wait, has Palps been having this whole thing stirring in the pot <laughs> this whole time? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Based on his laugh showing up in the trailer. Oh, stop. Oh, <laughs> um, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I really feel like it's like, the. I mean, Anakin is the prime example of the will of the force and so it just completely would make sense that there's that connection with other force sensitive beings out in the galaxy yeah and i know that's a theory like some people are like oh you know the skywalker means like force users and so the rise of skywalker means like a whole new generation of force sensitive beings coming into play and they won't be referred to as the jedi because it's time for the jedi to die and literally the last episode was called The Last Jedi. So I think... And now it's time you know, for the rise of the Skywalkers. Yeah. And it oh, might be crap, guys. <laughs> and even, like, if like they're not even thinking of it in that way, if it's, like, Ray, you know, doing it in honor of Luke, like, creating a new order and calling it the Skywalkers. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, Ray would technically be a Skywalker. Uh. <laughs> Wait, what? Okay, we're losing it now. But no, but this <laughs> It's, yeah. Wow. All right, well, sort of on the same same coin. Back to Thrawn. Um, so we know that these these Skywalkers, you know, they're, they're young children who have this ability and essentially what this ability does is you know it's the third sight and it's precognition it's it's literally like one ability that these chist children receive and it allows them to like navigate and pilot ships through hyper lanes and things that you know like normal people can't and that's essentially what gives the chist an advantage in the unknown regions because these hyper lanes are not defined and they're constantly changing and they're hard to get around and so these skywalkers can can get around and uh you know detecting dangers and things like that and they talk about in this book how it's mostly young females who have this and as they continue to grow up they they sort of lose their ability to do that 
So what do you guys think about Thrawn? I know there's a theory out there that Thrawn might be Force-sensitive. Some people thinking that maybe Thrawn could have been one of the rare male variants of these, uh, like Skywalkers. Obviously, he's not going to be, even if he was Force-sensitive, he's not going to be the type of person that could wield a lightsaber and become a Jedi. Like, he's, you know, older, and he's not going to be able to use the Force in a way that the Jedi can. And like they said in this, it's it's more of the precognition ability that they're that they're that they get. So does Thrawn have some of these like residual abilities as one of these rare male Chiss Skywalkers? I personally think that he may have been one of the Chiss Skywalkers. And that's where he gained the ability to learn from his early foresight to notice the patterns and the way that people behave in certain situations and what happens when he can foresee these things happening. And he's used that after his powers have faded, that knowledge that he gained from it, he learned from it, and now he is implementing what he's learned when he doesn't have the third sight anymore. That's my guess. I feel like he's not... Especially because I think it takes away from how amazing, like, the amazing tactical genius he is. I kind of just like it, like him, you know, just having that hyper-logical, organized mind um, and it not being, like, a force ability. Mm -hmm. Um, And even, like, the way he thinks, like, especially getting in his head in these books, like, I feel like we don't really have anything that made me feel that way, that he was ever, like, sent something he always has to like figure things out he has to experiment he had to you know enter hyperspace like 10 or 20 times or whatever to try to see if his theory was right he doesn't like just jump into things on a whim he always has to figure it out um and he does it very methodically and i feel like if you look at the way anakin or like vader or anybody who we've seen with force sense does things it's just kind of like oh that way over there that because i said so you know like it's he's too he has to figure things out too much for me to see him being force sensitive but there was a part in it where when he is talking about the force sensitive children and the sacrifice that they have to make i think they kind of described him as like looking like sad about it for a moment and it was when he was talking about like returning them to their families and things like that and then how they get set aside as they get older and he looked sad about it for a moment but that almost made me feel less like it was him and more like it was you know maybe like a child of his or a child in his family that had to go through that you know losing their force abilities Mm -hmm. as they got older like someone he was close to maybe his sister maybe if he has a sister (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah i mean i'm right there with you jesse i i like that idea of thrawn not being force sensitive because he's super smart and you know he doesn't need that to figure things out like that's just who he is and you know the chiss chose him to essentially infiltrate the empire and become who he is as they were trying to navigate through the hyper lanes Thrawn wanted Vader to do it because Vader was Force-sensitive and he he was right. the only one that could do it. 
obviously we know that the the abilities diminish as you get older and so maybe even if Thrawn was one of these Skywalkers he wouldn't have possessed the ability to do it at his age but I feel like with experience it might still be something Thrawn could have done um, had he been one of these Skywalkers now we'll see what happens in treason I don't know but I think I don't know. I, I don't know. I think it was clearly Thrawn being like, "All right, Vader, you're you're the one with the Force. You can do this." Type thing. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. But you know, what would be cool though is if um, I think her name is Alani. Yeah. The Arlani. female like Alani, the like admiral, Chiss admiral yeah. um, that Eli is currently with. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the one. They kind of like allude to her being the one that picks up these children when they finally do do the handoff to sending them back to the Chiss. Yeah. Like, I wonder, because she's basically because she's a Chiss female, <laughs> like, it would be cool if, if she was a Skywalker, is a Skywalker. I don't know. Maybe you're still a Skywalker. Yeah. Even well, as you age. Lots of really great stuff with this book. We also find out that the you know the Grisks they are a potential threat to the Empire. Um, Thrawn makes sure that he sort of threatens the Grisks with his Chiss name, so that the the Chiss would be the number one target, right? I mean, is that how you guys took that and mm-hmm. sort of bought the Empire a little bit more time? Um, yeah. Saying his name in his Chiss his Chiss name. So I guess in a sense there is that. Uh, you know, with Thrawn sort of buying the Empire a little bit more time, but now the Grisks and the Chiss are sort of going to be battling it out. So maybe we'll see a little bit more of that in Treason. But we also have the still, like, underlying issue with threats from outside the galaxy or the unknown regions coming in to become a threat to the Empire and the galaxy that we know. So, yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see how everything plays out in the next book. Um, final thoughts on this book, guys, before we get into some of our um, book club members' reactions. I loved it. I liked this one so much. I agree. I really enjoyed it. I loved getting Invader's Head. Um, it definitely made me like Thrawn even more than I already did. I'm... I wanted to ask you guys one more question. I know we t- we used this question in our last discussion. Does this book change your mind on whether or not you think Thrawn is a good guy? Like in the realm of Star Wars, good guys versus bad guys. Mm-hmm. Like what side of the T-shirt is Thrawn on? Oh, like, that's so <laughs> hard. Because I really want to say good guy. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like, I know he does some really crummy stuff, too, but it's like, um, I don't know. <laughs> One reason why I really like Anakin is because he says things how they are. He'll stick up for Ahsoka when when he knows that she's been framed and things like that, and he might be the only one that fights for her. Even Obi-Wan, as genuine and as, you know, admirable as Obi-Wan is, he still sat on that council that sort of banished Ahsoka from the Order. And I don't think Mm -hmm. that's right. With Thrawn, he is still wearing that Imperial badge. And I guarantee you, he knows full well that what the Empire is. Mm -hmm. You know? And Thrawn is smart. He's super, super smart. And unless he's going to pull some, like, huge treasonous act... I think he still should be put in the bad guy pot. 
despite uh, having good a, qualities. I so bad. It's I, my whole brain is twisted around with it because <laughs> I just keep thinking back to when he was saying things to Eli, like you know. All we got to do is kind of wait it out until we have a good guy in power and the Empire can really do good. And, you know, if you look at Thrawn's entire crew, like the way he operates, the the kind of, you know, work environment he creates, like it's just so different from every other Imperial. Yeah. Like the things they're doing, I don't know. I mean, they're... They're still, like, the Empire, so they're still doing empire things. But, like, the way he's functioning in the current government, he's not being a bad guy. Right. You know? He's, he, but it's the same thing with Obi-Wan. I guess you could say Obi-Wan is still being a good guy, despite having sat on that council that convicted Ahsoka. But you put that uniform on, you wear that badge... You you know, especially being Thrawn, knowing that the person in charge of the Empire is literally a Sith Lord. That, right, like, right. what you signed up for, I feel like, you know. Unless he has um, his own plan to change it. Right. In which like, case, as, he's treasonous. Oh, man. Uh, as much as I don't think he's treasonous, like... I, I kind of hope he is. <laughs> I kind of, yeah. But at the same time, it's like I feel like we know he's not because of where we know that he novel fits in. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I maybe Thrawn's pulling, you know, a Palpatine where he's playing some kind of long game that we just don't know about yet. Because every the way he walks, the way he talks, everything he does points to a very good guy morale like he still does what needs to be done but like back in the day so did anakin and uh -huh. anakin i think you, before he turns into vader you can call anakin a good guy yeah so i don't know yeah i mean i guarantee you in a month when we're having this discussion about drawn uh, treason that our answers might be wildly different wildly different <laughs> or maybe like i don't know maybe totally the same but we'll see uh, I, I feel like we'll have more concrete answers, but all right. Well, let's go into some of our members in the book club and what they thought of the book. You know, I definitely want to thank everybody who has been participating in our discussion questions on our Facebook page. We really appreciate you guys participating, and uh, it's it's fun for us to come up with these questions and get your guys' thoughts and uh, we've had a couple people request having an in-person meetup to discuss the book so uh, we are in the northern Illinois area so if you guys are in the area and you want to meet up at some point we are going to be planning some sort of book club meetup and have discussions on some of these books that we're that we're reading but let's get some of the uh, thoughts from some of our book club members and we'll start with Dan first Dan says, Thrawn talks this entire time about a threat that's hiding in the unknown regions. We don't know what it is, but we do know it's dangerous enough for the Chiss to worry. We see in this book that the Grisk are at least one threat. They could have been amassing an army. Could they join with this other threat? And if so, could there be another empire beyond the unknown, re unknown regions getting ready for an all-out war against the galaxy? What isn't Thrawn telling us? Most importantly, will we find out in treason? What do you guys think? 
You guys think there's another Empire-like army out there that the Grisks could team up with, or...? I don't think there's an Empire-like army, but I think there's a bunch of wild space systems that have their own independent armies, and if they got organized, that could be, you know, Mm. their own rebellion. If they were to try and be, you know, overrun. Well, just look how hard the Grisks were trying to evade the Empire or to impede the Empire um, and studying the Empire and the Republic. So they can't be the only ones out there, right? So maybe it will be kind of like a separatist thing, like you said, where they like all just kind of form like an alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I don't foresee that happening unless they're they're threatened. So unless Palpatine really starts reaching out there. Yeah. I don't see why they would come crashing down on something so huge when there's really not a good chance of success for any of them. I feel like nobody would threaten the Empire unless they felt as though they could win because the Empire has so much... They cover so much space in the galaxy that we see that they would have to be pretty formidable and pretty confident to try and take over the empire um i mean i guess we have the rebels that do it but they've got a force user and you know the millennium falcon on their side and ewoks but um yeah i don't know we'll see um okay uh amanda she says she likes the dynamic between thrawn and anakin she also found it interesting that anakin makes the choice at the end and it sort of shows his slip to the dark side which is something that we had kind of talked about earlier. Just sort of that whole, like, I thought it was interesting that they mentioned the lava coming up from the planet. Mm-hmm. And we know that Anakin has had history with lava. So. Barbecued <laughs> Anakin. Yeah. Oh, no. Or I guess at that point it's future with lava. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. So kind of interesting symbolism. Karma. Yeah. <laughs> And then we have some stuff from Connie, who has been definitely enjoying these books. And Connie says that she thinks it's interesting that Vader refers to himself as the Jedi, or his like prior life, which I also think is pretty cool. She liked to see Vader's thoughts as he listens to Thrawn and comes to realize that Thrawn can anticipate like a Force user. She says that she liked how you can see Thrawn navigate so well through every circumstance, uh, manipulating results to his favor. Yet at the end, when he begins to question whether he can truly do that in every circumstance, benefiting both the Chiss and the Empire, she loves seeing the reactions between Vader and Thrawn and how Vader is patient and trusting, which she says is unlike the vader that she understood all this time like that she thought she was thinking of so i mean yeah i can kind of i can kind of see that and we talk about that we talked a little bit about that um with vader being like not trusting of thrawn and then finally coming to trust him knowing that he can do what he was entrusted to do you know Mm -hmm. and that they weren't in competition i think that's also a very important aspect for vader moving forward is that he is not in competition with Thrawn. Yeah. Because I think that Thrawn's confidence with Palpatine was an anxiety point for him. That they were having all these meetings without him. Yeah. Yeah. He was a threat. All right. Well, 
Of course, we want to thank everybody who not only participated in our discussions on our Facebook page, but submitted their thoughts to us to be mentioned on this show. We really appreciate you guys being interactive, and uh, we're very much looking forward to our next book, which is Thrawn Treason, which we are going to be covering for the month of August, which I'm very excited about. I actually did speak with Timothy Zahn briefly. Um, I asked him to be on the show, and he uh, unfortunately is super busy. He's doing his Thrawn Treason uh, book tour, and he's got a couple conventions coming up, so unfortunately he had to decline interviews and podcasts. But he is very excited that we are covering the book and uh, had a Thrawn-filled summer. So uh, unfortunately, we won't be able to have him on to talk about Treason, but I'm very excited to read it. What are you guys anticipating and what are you guys most excited about about Treason? I just, I want to know what that cover meant. <laughs> that For me, that's like, yeah. what I keep thinking about is Thrawn sitting on the chair with all the chess. I want to know what that cover means because that's been driving me batty for weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, me too. And that quote I just keep that I read earlier mm-hmm. about being a warrior, like I just keep literally replaying it over and over again. I have it like bookmarked in my audiobook, and I'm like listening to him read it in his voice, and I'm like, "What does this mean? <laughs> what side are you on?" I just and what know does what it side mean for rebels? I mean, rebels is finished, but. How is this book going to impact how we view the end of Rebels? Yeah, I hope that it, I, I want, like, I want it to turn Rebels into, like, a twist ending that we didn't know there was. Like, I still am so intrigued by where Rebels left Thrawn and Ezra, you know? Where did they go? (laughs) Like, I feel like there's a story that goes beyond that point. And maybe this gives us some insight into where that's going. And they never said this was a trilogy. So hopefully we could get more. Or, I mean, I feel like they left the end of Rebels pretty open-ended. Like, we could get a spin-off series maybe someday. What's up, Dave Filoni? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, please. Please? <laughs> please, pretty please? Yeah. Where is Ezra? I super want to know what's going on with, with, with that. I'm very excited to get more Eli. I have to say I, I missed Eli in Alliances. I, I think he was yeah. a, a really cool character that they brought in, and they made you feel for Eli as this young character that just wanted to be, become a supply officer that got thrust into all these situations and then when he finally gets promoted you're like yeah eli you could do a man yeah and then they're like no eli's going to be with the chiss he's not in the next book you're like crap what? yeah but eli <laughs> so i'm excited to get more eli in treason yeah me too i feel like we're also gonna get like let in on the secret of the chiss like we're gonna be in their point of view yeah. with eli and um alani i don't know if i'm saying her name right i think it's our alani I think Arlani, but yeah, I don't like know. I feel like we're gonna be in their point of view, so we're gonna get all these secrets that the Empire may or may not actually know about the Chiss. We're gonna get in their heads. Yeah, for sure. Well, Amanda, since the book club is sort of your little baby here, um, <laughs> why don't you tell people how they can get involved in our book club? on social media and everything well we have this super awesome facebook group called tso book club on facebook and you guys are welcome to follow us on there um you can also follow us on twin sons outpost on facebook 
and on Twitter. It's under Twin Sons Outpost as well, correct? So we've got all those going on. And then on the book club site, we post all of our discussion questions, our chapter breakdowns, book of the month. We hold polls when we're not in the middle of a current trilogy um, for selecting the next book club. We'd love to hear your guys' input. And you can also um, submit anything that you would like to hear on the book of the month represented on our podcast through the uh, Twin Sons Outpost. All right, perfect. And we are doing Thrawn Treason for our next book, and we are going to be beginning on August 1st, I believe, right? Which is uh, Thursday. This should be out right around there. So by the time this airs, it's possible that we may have already started Thrawn Treason. But like Amanda said, if you guys want to get involved, you can hop on over to Facebook and join our book club group, and you'll find all the information on there. So for Eric, Jesse, and Amanda, we want to thank you for listening to the Twin Sons Outpost Book Club podcast where we discussed Thrawn alliances, and we hope you'll join us for Thrawn Treason for the month of August. We'll see you next time, and may the Force be with you. Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall, Harrison Dula from Star Wars Rebels. You've been listening to Twin Suns Transmission, an exciting show where sand gets everywhere. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Twin Suns Podcast Network. May the Force be with you, always. Hailmaster Tatooine. It's controlled by the hut. Reaching the rendezvous point on Halloween. This time, you will not have to meet my team. Oh, 